Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone for being with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Uh, today we're going to talk about um, broadband mapping, which we actually talked about also on Wednesday when we had the uh, NTIA's uh, point person and Neville in to talk about uh, the broadband stimulus program that addressed uh, mapping. And uh, today we're going to pick up the theme once again. I know that uh, over the, the past couple of years of the broadband stimulus, this has sometimes been um, a contentious topic when people start to talk about the national broadband map and what does it do and why does it do what it does or not, as the case may be. And uh, no doubt I've been one of those folks there with a few uh, questions and comments. But at the same time, the money that has gone into state mapping efforts has produced some really um, good results. And by that I mean there have been good um, you know, data gathered as far as coverage, obviously, but also how this data has been woven into other uh, policymaking, other economic decision, uh, I'm sorry, economic development uh, decisions that states or local communities have made. So it's more than just coverage. And so today we're going to really look at this at the um, state level. Uh, we have three guests joining us today. Uh, uh, we have uh, Angie Bailey, who is the director of North Carolina Broadband, which is a division of North Carolina's Department of Commerce, um, and she has worked on um, uh, on broadband issues for quite some time. Uh, Jenny Stapp, who is the state librarian for the state of Montana, uh, and also we have from Montana the state GIS coordinator, Stu Kirkpatrick. So I want to welcome all of you uh, to the show today, and thank you for being our guests. Thank you. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, let's talk about uh, broadband mapping, starting with the project uh, in your respective states. We'll lead off with, with Angie. You know, talk a little bit about, um, you know, what has happened with that project in the state of, of North Carolina, and then we'll move on to Montana. Okay. Great. Uh, this is Angie Bailey. I'm uh, with the North Carolina Department of Commerce. Um, and just to kind of give a little history, we um, North Carolina used to have a state broadband authority. Um, our project was moved into uh, the Department of Commerce last year. And so, you know, basically we've had this federal grant now since 2009. And, you know, the data collection and the mapping work is really the foundation of everything that we do here. And so... You know, North Carolina has actually been mapping broadband um, since the mid-2000s, but this national effort has allowed us to get to a much more granular level. And I know the data has not been perfect as far as I know folks would like all, at, some folks would like all address level data and more exact speeds. And, um, you know, I get that. I get that more than people that don't do mapping, but... Um, it really is the foundation, and, and I, I just want to say up front before we, we get into the whole discussion that, you know, I'm worried about how the states will move forward with broadband efforts um, after the federal program ends, and, and my hope is that the FCC, this collection process moves to the FCC, um, that there will be some way for the states to still participate in it and have access to the data. I know that's not a, I know that's not what you asked, Craig, but I just want to make that point before we mm -hmm. we get into exactly what we're doing. Um, so we of course collect data, um, just like uh, the other states. Um, we have about I think our last data round had 75 broadband providers participating, about 1.6 million records, um, and then we map we set, submit that to the National Telecommunications and Information Administration for the national broadband map. And then we have our own North Carolina broadband map. And in North Carolina, we've been very fortunate that we also were funded by the NTIA for several supplemental programs. So the 
of course, the mapping is just the collection of the data, and the point of the show is what do you do with it. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a technical assistance program, which is an on-the-ground. Um, we work with the 100 counties in North Carolina on local broadband planning efforts. And you really, it would be hard, I, I try to imagine going backwards now, be very hard to do that without having kind of the foundation of where each county is, you know, who, I mean, even who the providers are in each county, you know, kind of what the basic coverage is, where are the big gaps. If you don't have that basic level to start at, um, yeah, I just feel like we're going back to the early 2000s when we had data at the zip code level. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Uh, Jenny and Stu, why don't you, well, Jenny, let's talk about, because we were actually on this panel together uh, in Washington a few weeks ago, which is how I, I pulled the band back together again for uh, today's show. So, um, Jenny, talk about, you know, what's going on in, in Montana, and uh, then we'll bring in some more questions. Sure. Thanks, Craig. Just an overview of sort of the organizational structure here in Montana and the state library's role, and then I'll let Stu Kirkpatrick talk in more detail about the state's broadband mapping efforts to date. The Montana State Library has always played a very active role in developing geospatial data for the state of Montana, and that role has increased over the last 18 months or so with the addition of the state's base map service center to our team here at the State Library. So at the State Library, we're responsible for maintaining the state's Montana spatial data infrastructure, which is four themes of geographic data. Much of that data contributes heavily to the state broadband mapping effort, including parcel data, as well as the critical structures and addressing data that we collect here. So our efforts in, in the broadband mapping have focused in those areas. Another unique role that the Montana State Library has played is in our own Broadband Technology Opportunities Program grant that we had that funded infrastructure development for public computing centers in about 43 libraries in Montana. So as part of that, that grant, we provided hardware and software as well as funding to help those libraries increase their broadband deployment in those libraries at the last mile. And so in that effort, we collected a lot of the broadband data for libraries, which are an important community anchor institution and have the authority over that data that was then also contributed to the state's broadband mapping effort. The State Library in Montana's role in GIS is very unique across the country. There are no other state libraries involved to the degree that we're involved, and so it gives us, I think, a unique perspective in what we bring to any kind of mapping, and certainly broadband mapping was an important component of that. Uh, my colleague, Stu Kirkpatrick, was actually working with the Base Map Service Center when it partnered originally with the State's Department of Commerce, who began as our entity responsible for state broadband mapping. That moved to our State Department of Administration State Information Technology Services Division uh, a couple of years ago, and so now that authority lies with them. And I did want Stu to be able to address some of the benefits that we've seen from the broadband mapping effort, specifically as it worked with our addressing program. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure, Jenny. I'll, I'll just follow up. It, it certainly has has been an, an interesting transition for for us here at the, at the library. And, and interestingly, just as the broadband program was moving from the Department of Commerce to the Department of Administration. Of uh, the program that I'm responsible for, really state statewide GIS coordination, and a, a lot of our spatial data infrastructure was moving from the Department of Administration to the library. I was I, I was involved heavily writing the initial grant, at least the geospatial part of it, the, to to the N, NTIA. Uh, and I was also on the uh, the, the initial uh, RFP response or, or uh, team that, that evaluated uh, the contractor that Montana hired. Montana chose to go the route of, of hiring a, a contractor, as I don't know what the percentage was in, in all the states. 
And in some states, uh, New York, Utah, uh, others uh, went and, and actually did the work internally many times uh, in the state GIS coordination uh, department. Uh, I think it's been an interesting program. You you did uh, kind of mention in your lead-in, Craig, about certain you know controversy has the has the you know the NTIA and, and FCC has this program worked. And from our perspective, uh, and I think a lot of state GIS coordinators' perspective, I, I think that this is really can serve as a, a model for the distribution of state funds. First of all. They 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 got together and and they got together with the states and they put out a standardized model. So first of all, so we're we're collecting data in a standardized method at the state level and and we're feeding it up to the federal government. I think that's really worked worked well. The second thing that that, that they did is they they allowed states to make use in the best way possible of the fund. So if a state said, you know, we don't really have the expertise to do that in-house, they could contract. So there was no mandated uh, way to go about it, but there was a very strict structure of, of that I think Angie can, can you know, describe of the reporting requirements. Well, that's fairly stringent, uh, and so we get a unified federal map. And and I, I think that that those are real strengths of the program. Uh, we did benefit. Uh, we were able to use the second phase uh, of the NTIA funding to uh, work with some uh, rural counties and tribal governments. Uh, you know, you'd think of those as, as the underserved areas to get address level information. And you know, I don't want to run on here about the methodology of collecting, but but I think Angie um, men uh, mentioned this that that as this progresses, as uh, as as if we can continue, I, I think that the the goal will be to to get this down to the address level and and really see where where the the underserved and the non-served are. So I I'll, I'll end with that and and you know I can talk uh a, a good deal about the methodology although we didn't do it I'm I'm familiar with it with how it, it it's done uh mm -hmm. and how 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 the how the, the data has been verified and we can talk about that if we want or we can go other places. Right. Well, actually what I you know you you bring up something that's interesting you started to talk about where it's being used I'll swing back to um, Angie, and then maybe Jenny or Sue, you can take this up again. But um, <clears throat> what does this mean, trans? You know, down at the community level. Uh, number one, just from a you know understanding terms and terminology, what does it mean by address level? Um, you know, or you know what in in the in the context of, of broadband mapping. But maybe the bigger issue after that, after explaining what that is. Is you know what does this mean to the you know the person in whatever community you know why should they care that these maps are being done or how these maps are being done? So this this is Angie. Um, the way that we use it at the the data at the local level primarily is through our technical assistance program, and so we create customized maps for each of our hundred counties, um, and we have a list on our website of who the providers are in each county, whether they're middle mile providers or whether they're last mile providers, meaning providing service directly to the households. Um, and then, you know, we have staff members that work with the um, local government and community leadership. And, you know, the counties that want to participate, we encourage them to put together planning teams and really understand where the gaps are in their communities as far as service gaps. We encourage them to work with us on surveying the community to see who, um, for more granular citizen source data, of who has service, who doesn't, and who wants service that doesn't to get the demand element. And we've had some su we've had success in Western North Carolina, especially where we have more fixed wireless providers because of the um, the mountains, the elevation changes. Uh, we've had more fixed wireless in the West, and we have we've had broadband planning processes in several counties that have ended up in wireless provider fixed wireless providers coming in and serving the. Um, 
unserved pockets identified through the the planning. Um, and generally, these because these are small companies, they don't necessarily have time to go to every county and, and kind of do these feasibility studies. So we work with the counties to um, to help in that process, and then the counties or, or the local governments may be able to leverage asset to to offer up assets, tower space, that type of thing, to make it more attractive to come in and serve these pockets. Um, so that's been very exciting for us. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's been more difficult in the east where it's flatter and the tower space is harder to obtain. Um, right, but you're you're tracking not just wireless uh, data and availability, but also uh, wire, whether it be cable or fiber or whatever, right? Right, cable, DSL, fiber, wired. <coughs> I'm sorry, fixed wireless and mobile. Um, mm-hmm. It it just happens that when we have these pockets, we have found more success. So far, with fixed wireless, probably because they're smaller companies and they're maybe more nimble. Um, but certainly, we share the data with all the providers in the area, um, and we also have used. We've also had a lot of um, um, interest in state. We've had a lot of investment in state incentives funding in North Carolina over the past seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the type of thing we calculate the percentage of unserved households for each county based on this data, and then that's the type of data you might use to determine incentives where incentives could be spent. Mm-hmm. Some people okay. like that, some people don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, this is, is true. It's always a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, Jenny, how how has uh, this gone down to the local levels in Montana? Sure, I can I can give you a few examples, but first, you asked about the importance of addressing data as we think about broadband data, and the point that I would make is that when we talk about fiber to the home, we can't talk about the home without understanding that the homes have addresses, and so it's really taking that address level data of where those homes are that it's necessary to understand where fiber needs to be deployed if that truly is a goal for the country. So I just wanted to make that point. Mm-hmm. In Montana, um, I think broadband deployment is still very much an ongoing issue in the state of Montana. There was a Pew Research project a couple of years ago that pointed to the fact that Montana is, I believe, second to last in the country in our broadband deployment and access to high-speed broadband. And and our mapping effort really demonstrated that that is the case. Like North Carolina, part of our broadband mapping effort was going out and doing town hall meetings around the state to really try to engage community leaders in understanding what types of broadband services were available to them where they were lacking and what the impacts of that lacking deployment meant for a wide variety of services they offered. And so now in various communities as they're developing their comprehensive economic development strategies or growth policies, one of the things they're looking at is the need for increased broadband deployment. And again, this this data, as Angie said, is available to help them as they do their planning from the perspective of the library community, that's going to be very important for us as we go forward. We're beginning to hear now about standards that are being developed. Certainly there's standards for schools, uh, a gigabit of service per thousand students. Similar standards, I believe, are going to be developed for libraries as well. And so as we understand this data, it then becomes benchmarks for us and our library community to begin to speak to our stakeholders and understand the gaps in the service that we're able to offer and what the needs are going to be both now and the future. And so this data really becomes a communication tool for us to continue to seek opportunities for better broadband deployment and as broadband deployment increases, find opportunities for more broadband adoption. All of that has to happen at the local level because that's where the local stakeholders are who really have the influence in the state to influence both funding and policy direction. Mm-hmm. So, so so basically then the, the local level is a com- important component from, in essence, a data collection and adding to the bigger map at the state levels. 
They certainly are, and then I would I would argue that they're some of the biggest benefactors from the mapped data as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stu, this might be a good question for you. Again, to help folks who maybe don't understand the process very well, what does it mean to have a uh, you know an effective data collection process at the local level? Are you setting up databases? Are you setting up online forms or you know, forms that can be, you know, uh, translated in the digital format or whatever. But how do you, you know, physically structure a process of collecting data at the at the local level? Well, I, I can't speak directly to broadband, although most of the, the data that's been collected from a, a user perspective has been collected through uh, two ways. Uh, the speed tests, which I think are common uh, pretty much uh, among states. So there were there were various different speed tests, which I think you know were <clears throat> agreed to in principle uh, or not by by the providers. You know I think there were some problems with that. Uh, and secondly, uh, at least in Montana, uh, there was a, a a second independent verification of, of the provider data, and, and that was. Uh, Conducted through direct measurement field tests of wireless coverage, so they they literally drove uh, over 6,000 miles of roads in Montana, testing uh, every two or three seconds for uh, the the signal that that was available. So, I mean, that's primarily the local input from a broadband provider uh, perspective and, and user perspective. I think it's it, we we happen in in our office to collect a lot of local data. We we take addresses and and roads and parcels in a digital format, and I could I could speak about standardization to that. I would like to go back and hit a couple points. I think just about why do people care, or or why mm-hmm. should they care, mm-hmm. and 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 that's because as as a geographer, I I'm interested in, in the interaction between geographic phenomena. So when we take that broadband data and we put it with, for example, labor statistics or health care, and, and a lot of that hasn't been done so much in Montana yet, but, but I've seen it done in states like Utah. We start putting broadband data with other data, and is there a difference in rural uh, rural health care? Can, can, can we see can can we sp- see spatial variations as we look at at, at different bandwidths and 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 different uh, types of providers i think i think in the future that's what the usefulness of, of of this data and that's where this will go is is to to couple it with a, a lot of other different geographic data and and look for trends and mm-hmm. and this gives us a, this gives us a a huge standardized data set to perform those analysis. So I see that as is probably one of the true lasting values if uh, providing the data can be, you know, maintained. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll get there. Uh, can Sorry, I add one thing? No, go ahead. This is Angie. I was just going to say along those lines of the analysis, I think it will be interesting if the FCC maintains this data moving forward, um, if they're able to compare, um, you know, availability data with who's subscribing, um, because they've traditionally collected subscriber data, um, you know, if they can kind of get to with demographics and other information, um, what more more analysis of the adoption challenge and and where are people not adopting? And uh, you know, that's a lot of people are focusing a lot of energy on adoption, and it's got so many different components. Um, with them traditionally collecting subscriber data, I think that will be interesting to see if they can can come up with some analytics on that issue. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to assume, and each of you can can respond in turn. Um, that um, it is best that there be plans put in place in order to collect the right kind of data that can influence these policy decisions. And what I mean by that is, um, I, I guess you can do this one of two ways. You can, you know, all of a sudden one day start collecting 
broadband availability data and then down the line kind of figure out, well, you know, we might be able to use this for economic development decision-making and, well, we might be able to use this for, you know, tracking trends in education. Or you could sit down and plan all this stuff on the front end of what exactly it is that you want to capture and measure and track and then make sure that you're collecting data toward that goal from the get-go. Um, is the, you know, is that number one, a reasonable option of scenarios for how you can go about the planning process. And do people do that? Do they do they do they plan first typically or do they kinda of get into the process of gathering data and then figure out along the way what kinds of uses they can have for the data? We'll start with Jenny this time. I actually probably should defer to Stu a little bit except to say that I think it's probably a combination of the two Certainly there are policy, legal, or fiscal questions that are raised that it's understood when those questions are raised that there's going to be some kind of spatial component to answering those questions. And so planning for how best to go about collecting that data is a critical part of answering that question. But then I think as resources are put towards collecting any kind of data like this, be it addressing data or broadband data or, or any number of data elements, it really opens up our eyes to the wide variety of uses that are available for that kind of data. So I think it's a, a bit of both. Certainly we hope that, that there's some planning on the front end, but I don't know if Stu would have anything to add from his perspective. Well, you know, from a, a GIS data perspective, I probably, <laughs> I probably don't. It, it, it's from just uh, from observing, uh, you know, having been in in state government for several years, that typically uh, government is reactionary, and and and, but not totally, you know, not wholly, and and we certainly see elements where where we have. We have visionaries who, who who get out in front of the problem. We, uh, I, I think this is probably relevant, is that before legislative session, uh, the State Library publishes a what we call a legislative snapshot, and it's sitting on the chair of every uh, representative and senator uh, who walks in the door in Helena during the, the legislative session. And I, I would say, Jenny, I, I don't know what the the percentage, but probably eighty percent uh, spatial in, in in nature, and, and the maps and 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 tables that are that are related to a certain geography, and, and certainly we put broadband in that legislative snapshot in the hopes that they would see this in relation to the other types of statistics and thematic maps that we also had for their district. So all these things are available within their district as they and they can they can obtain these uh individual district reports. So we we can only prime the pump, I guess, if you will, and and that's to put this for them and, and hope that uh you know the the percentage changes and and the the visionary uh, wins out over the reactionary. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind of my philosophical approach, I suppose. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, Angie, what's your thought on the, which comes well, first? Well, I, I think that um, in terms of, I mean, I, you know, I guess I agree about government, but at the same time, I think in terms of economic development, I think economic development strategies are not always reaction. I think they can be more proactive. Um, and I think it depends a lot on leadership, especially at the local level. Um, you know, there's a big variance, in, and there has been in the past 12 years in North Carolina that we've worked on this at the county level. Is it depends a lot on the it depends on the local leaders, and do they see the vision like you're saying, um, and can they do they see why this is an economic development issue, um, and that um, and some of them some do and some do, still don't. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it will be interesting, but in, in terms of the planning, I think you have to have the drive first, then you have to have the data available. And, you know, without both of those components, then 
um, well, I think those are both critical to to getting any efforts going locally. Mm-hmm. So I think locally, it might be also. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I think this it might be also interesting to consider that question from a public sector versus a private sector view. You know, I think often in the public sector, particularly with large-scale efforts like this, it's been wonderful to have the federal funding to do this kind of broadband mapping, but we know that the the potential for that funding to go away is very real. I think in the private sector where they might have more opportunities for resources to put towards planning efforts, you might see those happen more proactively. And I would wonder if in North Carolina at the local level where that economic development is happening, if they really are engaging particularly the private sector in those activities. I think at least in Montana and some of the the public sector initiatives, there really has to be a very strongly stated case for the the need and the demand for this kind of data before resources are put towards it. And I think it's some of those issues that cause us to be more reactionary in the private sector, or, I'm sorry, in the public sector than proactive as we would sometimes like to be. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. interesting. I just wanted to agree that the yeah I mean I think we have to to me one of the biggest benefits of this the state broadband initiative program is that it has engaged every state in working more closely with their um, with the broadband providers because some states didn't even have those relationships um, and now you know that I think that's the first step that you have to have for these public private partnerships. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, reasonable. Is it um, locally? Who is the typically is the point person to help drive the the local data collection? Is it someone they elected? Is someone you just go out and recruit? Um, and each of you can you know respond to that one, or each state can respond to that one. Angie. Um, well. So we probably spend, uh, in terms of data collection at the local level, most time with the small providers, um, which maybe would be a small fixed wireless provider or a small cable franchise um, that may not um, be participate, may not just naturally be participating in the data submission process, um, and then be you know for the, kind of the general availability data. Um, and then as far as kind of community engagement, we would look to the local local leaders, elected or county managers, um, economic developers. Um, you know, it 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 really varies with the county. Mm-hmm. Jenny, I, I think that's I think that's similar in Montana. Again, there's a, a lot of the data that that's coming locally is is coming through the speed test. I mean, there's no necessarily organized uh, on-the-ground uh, effort to collect that data at the county and, and pass it up to the state. But I, I do agree with Angie about about uh, working with the providers. I, I think that uh, the contractor that Montana hired uh, has, has developed some uh, automated submission forms working uh, providers have various uh, levels and degrees of expertise with actual GIS software. The bigger ones mm-hmm. more so than the smaller ones. So I know the provider has has developed standardized forms for for automated submittal, uh, helping them with their mapping of of, of their uh, the, the area where they they have service. So I think those are 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 the places that that are going to provide the best data. If you give those people the tools, uh, I, I think generally my my take from from other states has been that that this relationship that Angie mentioned with with states and providers, which initially was. Uh, Somewhat strained, and, and, and I think that was because they, you know they were they were a little bit scared of what was going to go down. But I, I think that Angie knows more because she she works more directly with them. But I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, relationship has been improved. All right, hold on one second here. I'm gonna I got a call coming in. I think 
Hold on one second. Hello, is there a caller on the line? Hello? Hmm. I think we just lost them. Sorry about that one. All right, go on. Go on. Can I mention something stuff? else on economic development? I'm sorry? Can I mention something else on economic oh, yeah, development? Yeah, go ahead. So, you know, when this program was moved into the Department of Commerce last year, um, so we're we're an economic development agency, and the interesting thing is that you know this the uh, NTIA program is based on coverage availability data, and a lot of folks want infrastructure data, and of course that's how we used to map in North Carolina. Uh, it's hard data to get, but I think that what we I think that an evolution that we might see with state mapping is the move to, towards more asset based mapping. You know where. Are, the towers, where's the fiber, um, where are the resources that can be leveraged to um, deploy more broadband. And mm -hmm. it, it's not easy data to obtain in some cases, um, but I think with the FirstNet project, which is the National Public Safety Broadband project that will be, they'll be doing data collection, the state's under that program next year. Um, you know, if if the FCC is willing to share the availability data that they will be collecting in whatever form, and if the states are doing asset mapping, um, I think that could be a great complement. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we got our caller back. Is there a caller oh, on the sorry. line? That's okay. Yeah, well. Hello, Hello hear me? This, this Gigabit Nation. Yes, we hear you Greg. loud and clear. How can how can we be hey. of service hey, today? Greg. Hey, hey, how are Greg, you? Today? This is Bill Lutz. How you doing? Bill, welcome to the show. Yeah. yeah, how you doing? I'm listening to conversations, and it's pretty cool. Uh, briefly, I'm calling from New Jersey, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm from Midwest, Midwest originally, and to me I'm struck by how advanced folks are farther away from the edges of the country than they are within uh, where we are over here. In many ways, unfortunately, broadband's kind of fallen by the wayside, and in terms of GIS mapping, uh, due to budget cuts, you don't see a whole lot of things going on around here. But what's interesting where we're located in College of New Jersey is that what's interesting what's going to drive the whole issue of uh, broadband is the community themselves, not so much the local government. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I mentioned to you, Craig, was a thing called Mango Maps, which is kind of interesting. Um, I understand folks have a background in ESRI, MapInfo. I've done a lot of mapping for years, GMAC certification. And I served on, as an APCO board member for Region 27 for um, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey in terms of public law, safety, frequency uh, designations. And uh, what's sad is that in many ways, a lot of the broadband issues have fallen away. Sad, and unfortunately, GIS, which was going leaps and bounds a couple of years ago, has just stalled and died. But what came across, I was sharing this with Craig, was a thing called Mango Maps, in which people can publish their maps directly for web browser usage. Now, if the map professions kind of an interesting toy, but for the, your local, your local community groups, they're taking off with it because now you're taking what's complex and make it simple for them to get more involved and use it. So now, for us in the Eastern Seaboard, uh, the asset collection has been well done and set up. We have towers, we identified areas, etc. What do we do with it? Mm -hmm. And that's the question we're all facing over here right now. What's interesting, the biggest problem we have is that your major entities, Comcast and Verizon, are scared of issuing public broadband access. They feel it takes away from business. And not to be farther from the truth in doing that because there are advantages to doing this, uh, not the least of which that you still have to have a backhaul ISP service. But it's, it's kind of sad that this is happening as well mm -hmm. as the failure of Philadelphia with EasyLink or excuse me, Earthlink, being announced Earthlink's fault for having really pie-in-the-sky notion of unrealistic. But now what you see happening here is that you see community groups ranging from a small park nearby, which is an association of people focusing on and we want access to wireless services for park events. And one of the things that came up with all ideas was transmitting through the web little, little league baseball games. Now, a lot of mm -hmm. folks don't have time to go uh, watch your kids at games, but now for web access, for broadband, you can do things like this. So now you're taking what's usually kind of an isolated segment of population 
to a broader base population trying to buy into this more and more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I applaud people like Montana and North Carolina for what they're doing because that's the right way to do it. And over here, it's to me, it's remarkable. Every time I go back to see my folks outside of Chicago in the area, it's kind of, you guys are still in the dark ages? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you haven't figured it out yet? And uh, it, it, it's sad because the uh, super saturation, you have all these entities not against one another. But what killed us in New Jersey and Pennsylvania is home rule. Every town has their own domain. And when you talk about radio frequencies, I'm not kidding. I'm, I can walk three blocks. I'm in another town. Different frequencies set for police and fire department. Incredible. They've been trying to push for a county-based system now for 15 years. And they have a county-based public safety network, quote-unquote, but it's still, it is no coordination. We've all been there. It's really You're incredible. sitting on a pile of map data, but you have no way of showing it to others. Interesting. So interesting Sorry? Yeah, and that's insane. Anyway, it's an interesting group of people to check out. I recommend people to check it out. The guy's name is Chris Brown and his folks over there. And uh, the thing that's interesting is that it's very omnivorous. It works at all kinds of map sets, regardless of where you're going from. And mm-hmm. um, the thing that's pretty cool about that is that people who are not familiar with GIS or mapping, they feel empowered and they can get more involved. Saying, hey, wait a minute. My group does, say, a neighborhood watch program. Boom. Or say somebody says, well, we do a local Cub Scout or Girl Scout event. We want to map out where we sell our cookies to. And now all of a sudden you now have more buy into a project or an effort. Now, granted, out in areas that are more spread out, it's a different animal. I mean, uh, again, I have folks out of Wisconsin, Minnesota. It's more spread out there. Mm-hmm. But in highly urbanized areas, well, that's something you can talk to folks about saying, here's a piece of the action here to get involved in this. So... For what it's worth, I just want to congratulate and tell everybody we're doing a good job up here. I wish we were there. <laughs> but, um, again, we're still in the dark. Thanks very much here. for calling in. Not at all. At least I can do But I tell everybody to check out Mango Maps. It's very cool, very interesting, and a neat way to reach out to folks. Um, they make, it, make mapping more conducive, simple to the average person. They realize, hey, this is pretty cool. What else can you do? Mm-hmm. And that's probably the best way to sell something. No so worries. I will make... I'll make sure I get the URL out to folks uh, both by Twitter and uh, here. So, again, thank you very yeah. much, uh, Will, for calling in. I appreciate it. Not at all. Take care. Uh, all right. You too. So let's use that <clears throat> Mango Map reference to, to maybe segue into a um, obviously a very important issue, which is how do we keep the mapping process, the data collection process moving forward after the stimulus money runs out, and I, whoever wants to jump on this one first, uh, you know, but we've got to. I think we as a country, you know, need to talk about uh, this issue. So, who wants to take this one first? I'll take it first and be be brief. I I think that uh, my my experience with other state GIS coordinators would would indicate that the the states that did it in-house, that could do it in-house, and certainly not every every state could, uh, are going to be far, far better prepared than the states who contracted it out, and, and then if in the, in the interim they have not brought that back in-house, because uh, there's, there's a certain reliance uh, upon the contractor and those ties are going to be very, very difficult to break. So I think states like New York and Utah are going to be in position to take this over and to keep it going as a viable long-term program. I, I'm not sure that that other states will be able. In, in I mean, we if, if they haven't transitioned now, I, I think that there's going to be great difficulty in transitioning this into a, a state office that can maintain it. That's my opinion, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. Angie, thoughts from your end of the world? Well, I think that as far as, you know, as far as the actual actual mapping efforts as opposed to just state broadband initiative efforts, um, you know, I keep saying this, but I think that the challenge is going to be the data collection itself and whether I don't I don't know that the major providers will be willing to submit data to the states if they're if this program doesn't exist and they're submitting to the FCC um because that's you know if the FCC is the is the 
national program, that's where they're submitting their data. I don't know that they're going to want to take the time to work with every state. And and I know that this, there's a lot of opinions on this, but I don't. I think that you have to have the the provider data as a foundation to the to your broadband maps because they do know where where their infrastructure is. So to me, that's the biggest challenge. My hope is that the FCC will be willing to somehow aggregate the data, anonymize it, and still share it with the states, and then the shape, the states that want to can add on to that, complement it, analyze the data. That infrastructure behind it. Mm-hmm. Because um, it is a fairly strong leverage point that the states have now. I mean, one, they have money and they have the resources that can actually go badger the, uh, the various uh, providers for data. And in, this, in a sense of, you know, this is, you know, government programs, not something you can just kind of, you know, if you're the provider, you just can't look away and, and totally ignore it. Um, so, so this is this is the stimulus is a very serious leverage um, right. tool, and uh, so now do you think you know from going to different conferences, meeting colleagues from other states, that that the other states are preparing for this eventuality, or are they just kind of throwing their hands up saying, well, we don't know, and that's the end of the discussion. You can start, Angie, and I'll ask Jenny the same question. Um, you know, I don't know. I think the, the first thought the states have is the kind of focusing on the funding and the fear that we're not going to have this federal funding, so then what do we do? And, I mean, obviously funding is a big issue, um, but to me the issue is more about um, access to the data. Because that's something that the states can't control necessarily, and how do you if mean? states want, huh? How, how do you access, mean? Access. I'm sorry. Access to p- provider data um, as as a foundation of. Can't afford the resources, or because the, the the providers don't have to won't have to share it with the states after this program ends, or may choose that. I just don't know that they will. Right. 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 Um, okay. But, I mean, obviously funding is an issue for states, capacity levels. Um, I, I guess I assume there will be a big variation. I don't know enough about um, all the different states and what they have going on, but I, I'm sure it will, without a standardized program, keeping them, keeping us all working together, and, uh, I think that, yeah, some states will drop off, and, and uh, yeah, it's too bad. Mm-hmm. Jenny, what are your thoughts? I think, well, I think Angie's exactly right, and I think that that was a point that was made earlier on. Because this was a federal program with standards and requirements set at the federal level for all states to comply with, there's a great deal of authority and reliability in the data that's collected. And without that funding and without that mandate, I think things are going to fragment across the country between those states that have the resources to carry things forward and and those that do not. And I think Stu's point was right on. Those states that had some kinds of programs initially are going to be much more able to sustain something long-term. I know in Montana, our state will be very much making the transition to focusing on FirstNet and the public safety broadband as opposed to just the overall state broadband mapping we here at the State Library will continue our focus on the Montana spatial data infrastructure, which, as I said, includes critical structures and addressing. And, you know, we we do partner with our Department of Administration, who's managing the FirstNet program, and um, we'll be working with them on making sure that we have the, the best data available for those programs. You know, I think one of the things that um, has to be mentioned in terms of the conversation about data collection, particularly from vendors, so much of data collection, whether it's for broadband or any other kind of spatial data, is about the relationships that you form with those who are able to ge- generate the data and then contribute the data. And you know, we work very hard in Montana to make sure we have good, positive working relationships with those people who maintain that data to make sure that it's available to us for collection. And those relationships really do have to happen on the local level and working with states 
in partnership with their local data collectors, their local vendors, local providers, you know, right down to their local community anchor institutions. And it's those relationships that I think are going to be very hard to sustain if this program moves directly to the federal level. Mm-hmm. So you don't see any, um, I don't know, leverage tools that, that states can bring into play without this um, this assistance? Um, I think that would vary state by state, and I think mm-hmm. it would depend mm-hmm. on the the kinds of policies and legislation that's put forward at the state level. You know, I, I know our public services commission is only now beginning to look at what their role might be in broadband deployment across the state. Certainly they have the authority to put forward some kind of data collection, data analysis requirements for, for example, the the local telcos, but that isn't in place right now and I'm sure it would take a while to be put in place and I, I know it does vary across the country. Hmm. Um, Can I- can I have one yes. more thing? No, no, go ahead. I just, I just wanted to say that I do. I mean, I, I under, I actually agree with the decision to move this collection process to the FCC because I think when you're talking about investing federal money, like Connect America funding, um, significant, large amounts of funding that you know, they have an even more standardized process than the SBI system. So I get that, and I think that it's not. You know, in some ways it takes a burden off the states to not have to collect the data themselves, the provider data themselves, that they could spend their time more on, you know, analyzing data, adding the uh, asset mapping and and kind of local-level relationships within each state. Um, So I think there's a lot of room for this to be an opportunity, but it just depends on the evolution. Mm-hmm. I think Angie makes a, a really a fair point is that the FCC and 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 their GIO Michael Byrne uh, have have really stepped up as far as a federal agency in in, in leading uh, an effort and I think I think it'll be in good hands with with Michael Byrne at the helm so I I don't worry so much about that uh, I I do worry that that it, uh, as Angie mentioned, that that some of the relationships will be lost uh, that have been developed at the state level with the providers. Uh, that that when that goes to the FCC, that that uh, states maybe 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 out of the loop, so to speak. But, mm-hmm. but I think uh, the FCC uh, should get their their due here. They they've done a good job. Oh, definitely, yes. Do you think that if there were technology other than speed tests <clears throat> that would make it easier for the individual to um, report on data, you know, whether it's availability, whether it's not, whether it's good, whether it's poor, that folks would um, participate? You could think of it like I, I, they, they they certainly participate in in things like OpenStreetMap to correct the roads. I, I I I that that they've got the device in their hand, uh, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Many do now, uh, and I I think that there is a, a a pretty good record of of when given the opportunity that that, that these these citizen based uh mapping efforts can be successful. I think the that one of the successes behind those efforts and I completely agree is knowing that something is going to come of that reporting and I think I completely agree that people do and probably would continue to take advantage of those kinds of opportunities as long as they felt like it would have an impact. I think mm-hmm. if speeds don't increase if there's not more broadband deployment, if they don't feel like there's going to be an outcome necessarily, then I think that would be a detraction from people wanting to report. Certainly you'll have people that will continue to complain, and and I'm one of those people when I'm at home and don't have adequate broadband, but um, (laughs) I think think at some point if people feel like they're they're reporting this data and nothing's coming of it, then I think they might lose interest. So that Mm -hmm. would be a fear of mine. Okay. 
And Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a, it it um Yes, we've been trying to figure out a way to get more citizen input, and I think that it, um, you know, it's one of those cases where if people do feel like they're well connected, then they're probably not even tuned into the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, it's always a challenge as to how how to get more participation. I, I think also an important issue is um, somehow tracking capacity of of your uh, broadband lines and. Um, that whole issue, and there's not really, that's not really done right now. But I think it will become more and more important as as people use more and more broadband. And how how do we, as the states and as a country and as the providers, um, look at that? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, one of the this is kind of random, but uh, I meant to ask earlier the the issue of um, verifying data. I know one of you mentioned that I. Uh, that um, you know, you take steps to verify the data. Oh, Montana, because you guys sent folks out on the road to um, to verify. But is there an easier, different, but better way to verify the validity of the data? Because I think one of the biggest complaints that people have about broadband mapping is that we rely so much on the incumbents to give us data, and it's not in their best interest to give us the most accurate and and uh, extensive amount of data. Yeah, I just I listed two ways that the the Montana broadband was was very verified the speed tests and and the, the actual on the road driving. I mean, I I I suppose that there are other uh, methods of verification that are out there. I, I I'm not aware of them, but I mean, mm-hmm. other other states probably did it in different ways. But w- without that, I mean that, that that's 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 critical because uh and i, I know it's it, it's different ways that <laughs> that that providers interpret their their signals but but without without user input that that say well this is what i'm really getting uh and and then comparing the two i don't think you have a very valid map just mm-hmm. it's just Field yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. It's really difficult. Um, it's a difficult exercise to gather data for, um, particularly if there's not the will or the money to to do it. And um, but on the flip side, I think that you know that is really mu- really very much the common complaint that here lies the hole in broadband mapping, as it is done in the U.S. is that there is no third party validation of the data. And unless you, you know, put some people in cars and have them run all over the neighborhood or the the county or whatever, that you're not going to get that. And that's, I don't know, that becomes, I think, maybe the holy grail in this data collection discussion. Um, any any closing thoughts on, you know, the future of mapping and data collection? I'll give you each a minute. Well, I'll give each state a minute. So, um, Angie, for the state of North Carolina, what's your one minute, you know, what do we do next? Um, let's see, one minute. Well, I think that we, you know, we continue to push for the need for mapping or for some role of the states in mapping. I think that, um, you know, the verification process and the relationships, the local relationships um, will be really important for states moving forward, being part of the FirstNet efforts and that um, kind of asset mapping. Yeah, and figuring out how do we get more citizen input, how do you um encourage people to participate and um you know there's there's issues around showing people's addresses how do we overcome those kind of legal barriers and um get information that's as accurate as possible mhm montana so, but, one minute pick one who's going to what do you, what do you, what comes next here i'll defer to jenny except to echo the the importance of of probably firstnet as being the 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 continuing uh, uh, that'll be the reason to continue this. I think mm-hmm. a big reason. Okay. Well, I I'm agree gonna... with you. No, go ahead. We got we got a few seconds. 
I was just going to say that I really hope for for Montana in particular and states like Montana that we can really begin to utilize this broadband data more effectively as a state to really address our lagging broadband deployment needs. We're never going to be able to attract the kinds of economic development to the state as we lag further and further behind the the broadband generation. Gotcha. And with that, we're going to have to wrap. Our time is up. Thank you, guests, for being with us today. Thank you, audience, for listening again. And next week, it's all about money. So log in to Gigabit Nation next week, and have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Craig.